very warm welcome back to the Ned Pro Podcast. This is episode number two. Um, I'm James Bradfield. I'm the one of the deputy co-leads of our Global Innovation Panel. And I'm very glad to be joined uh, this evening by Shane McAuliffe. Shane is another member of our Global Innovation Panel. And Shane also functions as the Science and Digital Communications Lead within the Ned Pro Group um, at the moment. So Shane, first of all, thanks very much for coming on to the podcast do you want to do a little bit of an introduction to yourself yeah thanks for having me james um great to get a chance to to speak in the podcast um as it's it's launching and really enjoyed your episode with luke last time you spoke um yeah so myself i'm uh, at the moment training to to be a dietitian um my involvement with nedpro uh, started last summer i attended the um annual summit um in Cambridge and got involved in the Global Innovation Panel, as you've said, uh, through that um, means. From then, I was involved up until Christmas and the turn of the new year, I've taken on a, a more active role in science communication. So this involves content support for some of the social media uh, coverage that we do, some of the blogs, newsletters, bits and pieces like that. Um, and I think alongside that just trying to increase engagement with science communications more generally as well so yeah that sounds fantastic shane just in case anybody is wondering and is a little bit confused i promise that there are actually two of us sitting here recording this rather than just yeah that, that's a problem we run into from time to time to face that now and again so shane one of the things that you've been working on of late is a sort of a paper of the week and it's something that I know we've spoken about before and that, that you've been planning for quite a while and actually it's been a really big hit within the group. One paper in particular last month that seemed to raise a bit more discussion than most. So do you want to give us a little bit of background on the paper itself and also the discussion that it raised? Um, yeah, so this paper in particular was um, a paper that was published in the BDA Journal of Human Nutrition and Dietetics. Um, title was Exploring the Provision of Diabetes Nutrition Education by Practice Nurses in Primary Care Settings. Really interesting paper. Um, it was a qualitative look at um, practice nurses in a centre in Sheffield um, and their experience of um, the responsibility that's being placed on them for providing diabetes nutrition education in particular. So this comes with um, the increasing demand for services in diabetes particularly meaning that the, the burden is falling on primary care staff and within primary care uh, practice nurses in particular um, what the findings of the paper suggest is that there seems to be a disconnect between um, these practice nurses and, and other healthcare professionals I, I think and a distinct lack of resources um, and training for these nurses meaning that they're feeling a, a sense of isolation um, which then is compounded by their perception of the, themselves being solely responsible for providing this diabetes nutrition education mm -hmm. um, without necessarily being uh, equipped to, fully equipped to do so. Um, so a, a lot of our discussion focused on, rather than focus on the specifics of dietary interventions, the focus of our discussion within the within the group was very much in the logistics and the politics around capacity and how we can use the wider MDT to help with this nutrition education. Yeah, that's fantastic. And because, like Shane said, there was so much discussion um, within the group and a lot of different opinions and I suppose standpoints based on the, the multidisciplinary nature of the group, 
we thought it'd be a really good idea to sit down with somebody who has experience of doing this. So Shane um, sat down with Elaine McIninch. Oh, Elaine is another member of the NedPro Innovation, Global Innovation Panel. Um, Elaine is a registered dietitian and here's what they had to say. Hi, Elaine. Thanks so much for making the time to... How are you? Th thanks for, so much for making the, the time to speak with me this evening. Um, it, it's great to, to have someone with your knowledge and, and expertise, I suppose, and experiment, experience particularly onto the podcast to, to speak about the, the paper that seemed to get quite a bit of traction in, in the paper of the, the week um, discussions last week. I suppose a good place to start would be just to ask you a little bit a little bit about your background, um, both professionally and, and I suppose your, your involvement with NedPro alongside that. Okay, yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks, Shane, for inviting me on to this. Great to have the Scottish Irish uh, Celt podcast. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm a registered dietitian. I, read, I, I qualified in 1997. That was a long time ago, isn't it? So, I, so I've, I've mainly been working in diabetes uh, and I've, I've been working alongside... A, at the time, I was working alongside practice nurses and GPs as long as, as well as patients. So we did some uh, training with GPs and, and practice nurses in my previous job working in primary care. Uh, but for the last three years, I've been working in medical education. So we've been developing and teaching an, a nutrition curriculum for Brighton and Sussex Medical School alongside Dr. Kathy Martin. Uh, yeah, so, so I'm also working with uh, Culinary Medicine UK, so I'm the nutrition lead and a director mm -hmm. for them. Uh, and yeah, life is very busy, but uh, very exciting. There's lots of projects on the boil. Excellent. Um, I don't doubt that, but by the sounds of things, um, lots going on for you. And and exactly for that reason, uh, with your experience in this area, I think a great person to, to talk with about the the paper that was discussed, as I said, in, in the Journal Club um, a couple of weeks back. So if you're happy, we might just launch into the paper um, and I'll draw on some of the things you've mentioned. So around culinary medicine and, and your role in medical education, uh, as, as we go through, I'm sure they'll um, they'll crop up again. So the paper um, exploring the provision of, of diabetes nutrition education by practice nurses in, in the primary care setting. I think your experience, as you've said, working with practice nurses themselves and and at the for forefront of primary care will be really valuable uh, to get some insights here. So. I think the crux of the paper is reflecting the increasing demand for for services um, in diabetes, I suppose, across the country. It's, it's something that people hear in terms of the year on year, the increasing number of people diagnosed with diabetes and, and the stretched NHS resources and services as a result. Um, what this paper suggests and, and demonstrates is that this burden, if you want to call it that, is very much being shifted from uh, hospitals into primary care and and even at that from GPs to nurses, uh, practice nurses, in fact. So I, I know that this study was was on a small scale and um, given that it was part of a, a master's thesis. But is this is this kind of symptomatic of a wider issue in the UK that you've seen from your experience? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm just really excited to see practice nurses being considered in this whole debate. So, so there's obviously a lot 
uh, of talk nationally thinking about the lack of education for doctors and GPs around nutrition but practice nurses are working really closely with their patients and have been for, for many years so often it's the practice nurse that provides the uh, nutrition education and I think what this paper recognises is there's been so little investment in education and the same with the practice nurses that I've been working with is, is, is just an, expect, an expectation to just do the job uh, where it seems that they would really welcome some more points and tips and clarification really because there's an awful lot of confusion particularly around diabetes at the moment where we have new options uh, that we can talk about a bit later mm -hmm. coming on board so so it's so much more than just healthy eating um but i think that that this has all been landed on the shoulders of practice nurses where uh, really, you, you, if we're talking about education for healthcare professionals, then they would be a really good place to start. Uh, they just have such a great relationship with patients and just such an amazing resource for, for, for getting nutrition education and, and helping to target that more personable way for our patients. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think it, it's quite striking to see some of the um, some of the points made by that that paper, uh, suggesting that across I think there's there's one um, little piece saying across twelve months of of an induction program for practice nurses that there's there's no education on diabetes or nutrition in relation to chronic disease management. Um, I, I think that's that's quite a scary thought when, as you've said, yeah. these nurses seem to be at the forefront of um, dealing with these these patients and and the nutrition education that's such a, a pivotal part of their care. Um, I mean, where where does the responsibility lie in in that case? I mean, does it fall on the practice yeah. nurses? Is it is it more of a problem with with the system itself or with with individual practices? Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a complex issue to unpick. And I th I think the first thing to mention is is I think that that practice nurses would really welcome this education from this paper from my experiences uh, so it's through no fault of their own that they have been uh, don't feel supported with this it's just the infrastructure around the education in general um, there are some models that, that that can perhaps be used so, so I know um, of some trusts that are using university education to support practice nurses so allowing their practice nurses to have day release in order to do postgraduate certificates or even up to master's level in diabetes uh, that was a yeah so, so, so that's one model or the model that we were using in our practice in in Brighton is that, that practice nurses were released to come to day courses where we talk not just because it's actually thinking about the education around food is important but also Absolutely. thinking about the education around uh, insulin new medications that are coming on board for diabetes and and the whole show really uh, so, so so having that in place and having that protected time I think is really important and and great for the profession to to keep upskilling and and valuing the the uh, contribution that they can make 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's hugely important for it to, I suppose, almost be part of the job spec or part of the, the training process for these nurses. Um, I, I think one thing that the, the findings of the paper suggest is that there's not really, uh, and maybe this is a reason for these gaps or definitely a contributor, is there's no real competencies or, or standards for uh, nutrition knowledge or education. Um, is this a, a gap that you've seen? Um, and I suppose, does it create a lack of incentives for nurses to, to upskill um, or maybe shift their priorities elsewhere? Yeah, I think you're right. And that's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because if you're looking at uh, writing competencies around nutrition, who writes those competencies? So um, it, it's very similar. What we're, we're seeing with, with working with doctors is that uh, um, who who has the education within that profession in order to make those competencies mm. and if it's falling back to dietitians and nutritionists then we're writing competencies for another profession which is a whole other sort of can of worms and and complications there so i don't know the answer to that at the moment but i think that that just you know moving forward just having better team structures in place uh, so that that we can perhaps do so, some more sort of joint working around that. So, so I think that that we are all very guilty of working in our silos of our own professions. I, I know that for myself, moving from being a dietitian in a dietetic team to to working in medical education, I can see really how much I was stuck in one profession, whereas. I, I think it's it's the bridges between the, the professions that perhaps is, is the most important thing in order to get these competencies and uh, not only work with the nurses in terms of what we can bring to them, but also what we can learn from nurses working their day in, day out practice with uh, patients coming to the surgery to talk about the bigger picture of diabetes as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a, a really, really good point. And as you've said, um, practice nurses have such a great relationship with patients that other members of the multidisciplinary team or other professions can really draw on those relationships and kind of assert their influence and, and expertise through those channels as well um, to give quite a, a holistic um, package of care, I suppose, to uh to those patients I, I think one thing that I was going to ask you about and it kind of leads nicely onto what is available for people with diabetes is something that's referenced in the paper quite often is is these quality outcome for, is the quality outcome yeah. framework indicators Um, I, I think it, it's suggested that these set the standards and often guide consultations that practice nurses tend to have in the limited time that they have available to them with patients and that this very much governs the the topic of conversation. Um, there is reference made to uh, dietary advice briefly being made a quality outcome framework um, indicator in the past, but now that this has um, has been taken away, it, it's it's taking away that incentive or that need, I suppose, to be trained despite the value and and the importance that practice nurses clearly put on this element of patient care. Um, the only thing which 
makes reference to the percentage of patients who are newly diagnosed with diabetes being referred for structured education program um, mm. that seems to be the the focus of nutrition um, or where nutrition might be implicated in this care and seems to be the only thing that's being monitored or the only standard that's set in that case or in this example um, I suppose that begs the question of of what is available to um, people with diabetes for onward referral and how is the awareness of practice nurses I suppose to these services and how is their access to them in your experience? Yeah sure so I think there's pros and cons of cough. So uh, one big pro is is that that there is a, a lot of different checks that are really important and can impact somebody's diabetes care. So making sure that you talk about uh, checking somebody's feet, making sure that the eye checks are done. But the downside of that is is it just becomes very formulaic. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I've seen the, the printouts that people get from their annual reviews and it's blood pressure, cholesterol, um, goes down this whole list. Uh, but it doesn't leave much opportunity to work to the patient's agenda. So if you've got a patient who really wants to focus on food within their, their consultation, and it might, it, it, and that's the thing, it might not be that one thing. Uh, it, it doesn't give a lot of flexibility. So, and, and I think in the paper it talks about that they, t- they spend maybe five to ten minutes talking about food. That's it. Which, it's, it's such a small yeah, amount. Yeah, a tiny amount. So, it's it's really difficult um, in that position to really make any sort of impact or to influence. Uh, or, or to even ask, answer people's questions around food that they may be coming to with. Uh, so, 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 so you're right. So, so, so having those uh, onward referral options is crucial. And uh, so, so, so but, but accessing, uh, I mean, for, for a start, accessing a dietitian is really tough. So, so we've been looking into uh, the, the, the demographics I guess, if you like, of, of the workforce here in the UK. And uh, th- there's only 4,000 full-time equivalent posts for dietitians in England and Wales. Now, that's compared to 3,000 nurses, 150,000 doctors. So just if you do okay. the maths, it, you know, like, how can we take this on board? Um, so, of course, there, there are structured education programmes uh, the problem there is, is there seems to be you know, a, a difference in capacity and access to those as well. So, you know, I think a first step might be just just making sure that everybody has equal access. But also as well, uh, the the offer available of the the sessions that people go along to face to face, it it puts a lot of people off in my experience as well. Mm-hmm. People are uncomfortable in groups or coming to terms with a new diagnosis of diabetes. So it's so whereas I'm a real advocate for groups, uh, it's not going to fit for everybody. So what do we do with those other people or people who uh, are speaking? Uh, English as a second language or working long hours. Uh, So I I guess there are online options now, which is really exciting. And I think the data coming out on online counselling for nutrition is really favourable, actually. So I think we just Mm. need to be 
inventive and and meeting people where they're at and where where they want to get the support and and, and just more importantly just giving lots of different options uh for the patients but also for practice nurses and doctors as well so they can uh you know keep keep helping out their patients the best way they can absolutely yeah wasn't it that was really long-winded no no that that's i i think it's it's an excellent point and it really highlights the fact that there is no one size fits all for um for patients i mean people in different situations whether it be for like you said work commitments or whether it be personal reservations um it's not as simple as just a referral to the stock group session or the stock um intervention for people it's about meeting people where they're at i think and facilitating them um I, i think that's something that if you read a lot online it looks at the nhs looking to i think widen the the reach of their services through those means and taking advantage of things like online education um as i said to to widen the scope of um of these interventions and be able to cover a, a lot more people um at scale exactly that so are there particular options that spring to mind that you know of online resources or programs that have been particularly effective or, or anything that you've come across in your experience that is um that you've found to be really helpful yeah so this is an exciting new world isn't it because there's quite a few new options coming on board so, so, so obviously springs to mind is the diabetes remission trial which is uh, currently underway at the moment uh I, I had the opportunity to speak to Owen Marples yesterday. So Owen Marples is a dietitian working in West London and he's heading up uh, the uh, diabetes or he's leading one of the dietitians leading in the diabetes remission trials in West London, uh, which I, I think just changes the goalposts again is thinking about not only are we, we thinking about controlling the diabetes where it is, but can we bring the, the, the disease state back a few steps um, to, 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 to reduce the need for pharmacology in the, in, in the future as well? So um, that there's that, but also as well, uh, you know, taking a step back from that is, is we have uh, Desmond, we have the expert programme, which will be, available just depending on what's commissioned in that area but also there's there's lots of areas that that bespoke their own programs now uh, mm-hmm. because it's deeper i think um but that that's that's varying quite a lot through the country from my understanding so uh, i think it's really hard in these times when, when finances are are so limited to make sure that, that there's an option out there and then you, you get into so, so people they could have then the option of going to the diabetes remission service or if they feel that that's too intensive for them then they could be looking at going to a Desmond program uh, or they could be looking at uh, a diabetes prevention program that's getting picked up earlier in the day but that obviously needs a lot of uh, resource and a lot of uh, manpower to make sure that we keep the standards high and we're giving patients the, the, the evidence base that they deserve. Um, yeah, and, and I guess like, like I, I have taught on Desmond before, so that, that there is quite a bit of flexibility in Desmond to 
personalize that to your area and to personalize that to your style of teaching to some extent but um, the, the nutrition part of that is still a very small part so so also within those courses we talk about what it means to get a new diagnosis of a medical condition and how uh, to process that and, and because we know that the, uh, one of the biggest problems with getting a diagnosis of diabetes is going through this period of denial where you yeah. uh, do the opposite of, of the nutrition information that's given um, in a leaflet form because it, it, it hasn't resonated and it, you don't feel ready to make those changes. So I think those are factors that are overlooked really is just nutrition's just a part. It's obviously a really, really important part of this, but I think we have to look at where this fits within the overall system. Yeah, I, I think that's uh that's really valuable takeaway to to realize the emotional um burden and the emotional toll that a, a diagnosis can can have on people and sometimes as you spoke earlier about within our professions we can almost have blinkers on or tunnel vision as to our area of expertise being the most important to people but i think it's it's important like you said to take a step back and realize that there are a number of fa factors at play here um it's great to hear mm -hmm. that these programs are offering that that multifaceted mode of care, I suppose, because as we've spoken about and as you've mentioned already, with time being so precious and limited in these consultations, um, the fact that through onward referral, a lot of these issues can be picked up and be dealt with is really, really important. Um, I think in terms of capacity for these services to be delivered, to to pull you up on Desmond is something that you you mentioned um sure. I, I think looking through it something quite interesting that I I came across was uh a, a study that was run a couple of years ago um Desmond Lay Educator Study um yeah. what this did essentially was it ran the Desmond program um and compared an intervention group who went through the program being coached and educated by two professionals and compared that with a group who were coached and educated by a professional lay educator. I think really interestingly what the authors found was that the trained lay educators managed to deliver as acceptable a, an intervention in terms of um, illness coherence and, and biochemical outcomes as well, so the outcomes of the patients. Now, this isn't to take away from um, the knowledge or expertise required to deliver these kind of programmes, far from that, but I think what it does demonstrate is that it is achievable with the right training and support. Um, it probably mm. gives a, an opportunity to widen the capacity to deliver self-management education and possibly even give confidence to to some practice nurses that, as we've said, may be lacking um, or there may be uncertainty around their capability to deliver this education without support. Do you think that's that's something that's realistic? It is upskilling people yeah. where they are uh, on the ground, I suppose, on the front line? Is that a realistic ambition? Hugely. Yeah, I think that's really realistic. And I think that that working these programmes, you know, you, a, a lot of the, the value of going to group education for, for, for diabetes or any any condition is is the, the group itself so so uh, 
the the interaction that you have with the instructors there but I think even more it's it's the peer interaction meeting other people that are in a similar situation to you so, so I think that that some of the first line information around diabetes it's it, it's fairly well known I think that that people have an understanding of what they they need to do to, to to first of all start on their journey at making changes with diabetes so it's just about reducing some of the sugary foods reducing processed foods and you know I I think that that most people have a starting point at least of where they want to go so but I think it's the support and building the confidence that they can do that and include that in their lives and having a chance to discuss that with other people and to discuss perhaps the impact that that's going to have as well. Um, I remember discussing with Dr. David Unwin, and I I realise that we haven't talked about low-carb diets yet as well, which is another important part of the uh, picture and the offer. And Really, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a bit of a can of worms. So yeah, but he makes a really important point that we have to give our patients hope, uh, and I think that's really, really key in this. So, uh, and I think that that hope comes from meeting other people and other listening to other perspectives to try and process where you are with your diagnosis, and ultimately what you want to do about that and how you're going to manage that condition uh you, you know depending on your perspective so I, I think that that uh groups are really important for many other things than just the nutrition education so so setting up uh groups where, where, where these things can be discussed in an evidence-based way that that lay people can be trained but supported by some of the apps that are out there and some of the websites that are out there for, for people to get more uh, practical tips on what to eat for their dinner, what to eat for snacks, all those kind of things are really important. And, and, and perhaps even, you know, we know that, that different things work for different people, so having different options, so using a, a, a model based on just first principles for, for something like Desmond, but then offering low carb options for other people that might not find not find the first thing suits them. So uh, we can really build a much uh, more complex offer, but for the patients that they, they feel that, that they've got somewhere else to go, if the, the first thing that they try doesn't work, that there's always a hope and something else that they can move on to. Yeah, I think that's that's really um really important is to consider that not even necessarily as uh provision of advice or expertise first and foremost, but more provision of a of a support network, which is hugely important for people to feel comfortable and and ready to engage. Um, I, I think my question through that is is once that has been established, do you think or in your experience, is there a lack of definitive signposting or I suppose education resources in particular and reliable ones to be provided to people um, be that through uh, some of these programs or be that I suppose more so in primary care is that a gap you see that needs to be filled? 
Yeah, I think I think so. I think that, that um, Diabetes UK do a really good job of uh, producing resources, and they've really widened their uh, the, the resources available. So, so they have different options: Mediterranean diet, obviously, and looking at uh, low GI and, and and looking at low carb options. So, so, so giving people a few different strands that they can try. Um, diabetes co.uk offer a lot of support in terms of um, forums and, and places for people to discuss their ideas and and, and al almost can work as a, a a virtual group which I think suits a lot of people more than than coming to a session so so these are all really good resources but what I think is lacking is for health professionals themselves is having uh, access to information and tools to underpin where the evidence for the patient-facing stuff comes from, so a little bit more of the background science, I think, is really important. Yeah. But also uh, how to have those conversations. So uh, you, it, it's really difficult actually to access information about communication skills. So I think communication skills have been taken as a given. But we know, and I'm sure you know through your dietetic training at the moment, is there's so much more than meets the eye of how you can structure a conversation and really get the most and the best out of that in the short time given. So a few more pointers and ideas there, I think, would go a long way, along with a bit of science and background nutrition, uh, where the trials are and where the evidence comes from, so really to build up people's confidence in the information they're given. Hello again, and I hope that you're enjoying this conversation so far. This was initially planned as a one-part show, but given that both Elaine and Shane brought so much to the conversation, we've decided to cut here for now and we'll rejoin them for a part two in a couple of days' time. Part two of the podcast will focus on next steps, some practical things that Elaine has been involved in herself, such as her work with NedPro through its NepHelp initiative, as well as um, culinary medicine. If you have enjoyed the podcast, then please do let us know. The best way to do that is through social media, where you can find us at NedPro on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Please also consider giving us a review wherever you listen to this podcast so that more people can learn about it and ultimately learn from it. Finally, if you did enjoy it, you can always share it with friends, colleagues, students, or anyone else that you think would enjoy hearing interesting conversations about nutrition. Um, but that's it for now, so I hope you will join us again very soon for part two of this very, very interesting discussion. <laughs>